0: Thank you for downloading this podcast. You could be the next brain of brains with Discam. Get to 702.co.za or kapetalk.co.za for more info. Talk radio.
1: Talk radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk, the Naked Scientist.
0: Chris, good morning. Hello. Oh, very nice to be with you. Thank you very much for joining us. How's the weather there? Rain? Snow? Rain? More rain?
2: Uh, lots of rain. We have a new inland ocean. It's called Ooh. the county of Somerset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just rained incessantly. Yes. Although, where I was last week was Chicago, the windy city. It was a snowy city. It was about minus 20 C at uh, times. And the day I came to leave, which was uh, just a Monday, <laughs> it it was a, well, it was a, a blizzard, and about a foot of snow fell, and it, it was taking hours to get to the airport. We thought we were going to miss our plane home. Wow! Got to the airport, and, and there was a, there was a foot of snow on the aeroplane, so it took them an hour Bye. or two just to get that off as well. <clears throat> So, yes, it was an interesting trip, but I went for the, the American Association for the Advancement of Science Conference, yeah. uh, which happens every year, and it's always in a U.S. city, and it goes between the East Coast and the West Coast. So on alternate years, you either have a very cold meeting or a very warm meeting because the West Coast meetings are always in California. So next year's in San Jose, so we <laughs> <laughs> had to go there, warm <laughs> up a bit.
0: Okay. Now, now, Chris, there's extreme weather conditions. Have they put to bed the debate around uh, global warming? Is there a, 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 a relation? between what we're seeing and experiencing and the debate around global warming?
2: Well, um, the answer is that the climate is changing. The reason for that change scientists are still trying to establish but they have strong suspicion that this is because of human activities, specifically the release of so-called greenhouse gases, gases like carbon dioxide that can warm the planet. Because if you warm the planet then there's more energy in the atmosphere and if there's more energy in the atmosphere then you're going to change the way in which currents of air move around and therefore the way in which energy is delivered around the surface of the planet. This can lead to things like the Gulf Stream, which is a pool of warm water that moves from the Gulf of Mexico up to Western Europe. It can divert things like that, and this brings very large amounts of heat to the west coast of Britain, for example. So if there is global warming, Britain's going to get colder in winter, surprisingly. But it has been interesting this year, hasn't it? Because if you look all around the, the place, you can see extremes of weather wherever you look. We've had the Philippines wiped out by a, a very powerful storm. We've had Australia basking in 45 degrees C mm. temperatures. We've got Britain with the wettest winter since records began we have flooding all over the uk we've got california um, we've got the the guys in chicago in america where they've had the coldest winter they've had for decades and there is a town called hell which is 238 miles to the east of chicago as i discovered on google maps mm-hmm. and hell literally froze over <laughs> this winter uh, so it, it has been a, a year of extremes the cause of this, we still need to establish, and, and how this happens, we still need to establish. One thing we can't do, though, is to be complacent, and we have to yes. f- look carefully at how we, how we use this planet and how we uh, inhabit this planet, because we only have one planet, and if we mess it up, we're in real trouble.
0: Okay. All right. Um, uh, doc- uh, t- t- Dr. Chris, I'm reading an email that's written, Dr. Dr. Chris. Now, for several weeks now, someone has been asking uh, about collagen being frozen and being used to, uh, to treat o- osteoarthritis. Do you know anything about that?
2: Well, actually, I met um, a couple of researchers at Cambridge University recently who are doing this kind of work. And the idea is that if you take collagen, which is a protein in the skin, it's in connective tissue, it's in cartilage, it's in pretty much everything that connects things together in your body. If you dissolve that collagen so you have a solution of it and you then evaporate off the water, you in the cold temperature you get effectively a collagen ice cube, but it's not an ice cube of solid collagen. It's a collagen that's very open and, and porous. So were you to cut through it, it would look rather like polystyrene. And this means that if you put this into the body, because your body contains lots of collagen, it's very what we call biocompatible, and once it's in the body stem cells from adjacent tissues can crawl into all of the gaps and holes and body fluids can squirt their way through the holes and this nourishes the tissue and you can repopulate the collagen with uh, cells and then the cells can follow local cues or instructions to turn into the right sorts of cells for the tissue you've put this into. So Mm -hmm. It could be used, for instance, to repair spinal discs. It could be used to repair cartilage, the stuff that uh, is on the surfaces of of bones in joints that makes them move over each other without becoming worn out. And it could also replace a whole range of other tissues, including skin and in severe skin injuries and muscle injuries. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe even hearts. The researchers I was talking to are talking about making a patch for a heart. So if you damage the wall of the heart with a heart attack, you could put some heart cells into this stuff glue the patch over the damaged part of the heart, and it would then wire itself and plumb itself back in, turning into normal healthy heart muscle to make up, uh, make good the damage. Mm-hmm.
0: Let's go to Sandy. Thanks for your patience, Sandy in Bloberg. Good morning. Good morning. Chris, um,
1: somebody was telling me that they'd read somewhere there is a phenomenon um, with a total solar, a total lunar, Uh, eclipse where the moon turns blood red. Apparently NASA has has called it this, a blood red moon. Do you know anything about this? What causes it? And apparently there's only been three in the last 500 years. And apparently there's going to be one in April and one in September.
2: Ah, do you know, Sandy, I don't know why that that would look red like that. I have seen reports of something about this, but I I don't actually know the physics. I'd have to think about that. So Mm -hmm. I want to go and have a look at that before I say something wrong. So uh, what I will say, excuse me... There are lots of very bright, spacey people who listen to this program. <laughs> so if in the meantime anyone does know the answer, then why don't you tweet it in to at Naked Scientists or tell Reedy, and we may even get you an answer before the end of the program. If we don't, then by next week I'll have checked it out for you and I'll come back with the answer.
0: That would be great. Thank you very much. Let's go to Ilan in Orange Grove. Hi. Hello,
1: Reedy. Hello, mm. Chris. Mm. I was just wondering, Chris, is there a upper limit to heat or uh, is temperature an indefinite variable?
2: Ah, yeah, that's a really good question. Yes. Um, Now, the answer is that when you you have a hot thing, a hot thing is something that has more energy, and there is not a theoretical limit on how much energy you can give something. And I think the answer is that it just becomes harder and harder and harder to give it any more energy because it's got so hot, and its mass is going to increase because, remember that E energy equals m mass times c, the speed of light squared. So if you increase the energy, the mass must go up. So things become more and more massive. And if they're more and more massive, you've got to give them more and more energy to make the temperature go up. So you can keep supplying energy to things... Um, but uh, it's not actually theoretically possible to infinitely do that because you'd have to have more energy than there is in the universe, wouldn't you? Um, but no, there's not an upper limit on temperature because you can keep supplying energy to something. But the converse is not true, and there is an absolute zero, which is minus 273 Kelvin, Kelvin, uh, which is when we reach absolute zero and things have no energy at all and all, act- all movement or all motion stops.
0: Thank you very much, Ilan. And speaking of energy, is it David and Benoni? Hi. Good, good morning, Chris. Mm, good morning. Go ahead, please.
1: Uh, Chris, uh, we are told that the sun is a ball of flame. And these flames come from the uh, burning of gases. Is that correct?
2: Hi, David. Uh, well, it's not so much burning as a, a nuclear reaction, it's a nuclear fusion reactor, the sun, and the the mass of the, su- the sun is huge, and it means that it exerts enormous pressure owing to gravity at its centre, and this squeezes the nuclei of uh, chiefly hydrogen to start with and latterly helium and then eventually bigger elements as they get made in the sun. And th- this squeezing forces those elements to fuse together and when you fuse elements together they form a bigger element and they give out some energy and in the case of our sun at the moment it's chiefly burning hydrogen and when four hydrogen atoms fuse together you get one helium and some other particles that come off including some photons which are light energy and some of that light energy we feel here on earth and it warms us up
1: but when we burn as a hydrogen it's, that hydrogen has to be replaced. You know, you can't just burn and then keep on burning. It's, it's burnt. I,
2: uh, I the sun understand. is absolutely no doubt. That th- you're you're right to be to be slightly uh, confused. But the sun is huge, and yeah. every second, the sun is losing something like between four and and five million tons in mass Hmm. and that loss of mass corresponds to the heat that the Sun is giving out but because the Sun is so massive already then it's got enough energy uh, enough potential chemical potential energy to keep going like that for about 10 billion years and it's been going for about 5 billion so we're halfway through the fuel supply of our Sun and as it ages, it will swell up and it will puff up to become a red giant, and then it will shrink down to form a sort of stellar cinder called a white dwarf uh, in about eleven or twelve billion years' time.
0: Thank you very much, David. Thanks. Sorry, the-
2: five or six billion years' time.
0: Nont-an-a in Midrand. Hi, Nontanta. Hi, Reedy. Uh, yes, carry on. <laughs> um- my question is, uh, I want to know, people who are born blind,
1: are they able to visualize uh, things in their mind the same way that we do? Because I'm thinking that everything I can see, well, in inverted commas, in my mind, is based on what I've seen and I know already. Which also leads to the question then that are they able to dream also the same way that we do? Because I can dream a sports car because I know what the color red looks like and I know what a sports car looks
2: like. hmm Okay. Yeah, it's a lovely question. Indeed. And, and and the answer is that it strongly depends on when a person went blind. Now you specify people who were born blind. If we first start with people who have gone blind later in life, then because they have a visual area in their brain which has experienced vision, therefore they have visual memories of what things look like, and so if they close their eyes they can imagine a car or the colour red. And in fact some blind people say to me they quite like going to sleep because Mm -hmm. when they have dreams then you activate all those seeing areas of the brain again and it's almost like you can see again. So it reminds them what colours and, and visual experiences look like. People who are born blind Do not have those experiences. They can never, or they haven't seen, so therefore they haven't informed their brain what the visual input looks like, and therefore they don't actually have any vision. And if you deprive that part of the brain of visual input from the eyes, then in fact the vacant or redundant brain territory that would normally be devoted to seeing things gets tapped off and given other jobs to do and you might find that people are feeling or they are interpreting certain aspects of language even in some of the visual areas of the brain because those parts of the brain have changed their allegiance This is a process called plasticity to do other jobs because there's no point in having these cells sitting there doing nothing. You may as well give them something to do. Uh, So those people, and in fact I had a friend who uh, was blind from birth and I asked him, when you dream what do you see and he said well i get dreams that are just words because obviously hearing becomes a very important sense and and touch becomes a very important sense for for blind people so a lot of his dream experiences were dominated by Mm. auditory hearing word type phenomena Uh, but he he did not experience any kind of visual or um, effects he didn't see anything in his mind's eye
0: Hmm. Steve, Steve uh, is giving we're getting various answers to the question uh, from the previous caller and SMS says blood moon is from pollution in Earth's atmosphere that's an SMS um, but we've got Dr. Mahmoud Badat who is uh, calling us to give us an answer Dr. Mahmoud, good morning to you
1: Hello, hi, it's uh, Mahmoud Badat really hi, Chris, hi, Chris
0: we're fine, Align- Mahmoud, yeah,
1: okay, yeah. Uh, there hasn't an explanation to this, they say it's got to do with the planetary alignment but. And this happens something like uh, like uh, once in 200 or 250 years, and that will explain why it occurred three times in 500 years, according to a previous scholar. And they say it's more of a reflection of uh, of the color of the red planet rather than the Earth itself. And it's been thought I, I I've actually uh, uh, you know researched this thing, and it's been thought that it's usually a reflection of 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 the color of the of planet Mercury more than anything you know, else when there's an alignment, and this occurs something like once in 200 to 250 years.
0: Okay. All right, Hello. What, what do you think of that, Chris?
2: Uh, it's a very bad line, um, but I'm, I'm not quite clear where the red colour is coming from. So can you just explain that a little bit more for us, Mumu, where you think the redness comes from?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's always been uh, described, Mercury has always been described as a red planet. Because it's extreme temp- uh, closest to the sun at extreme temperatures. And that's the play of, uh, of the redness comes in from, from Mercury itself. More than the, hold on, the redne-
0: your line is so bad, Mahmood. Uh, the, the the redness comes from
1: from the uh, from from the planet Mercury. The Sorry, planet. Can I, 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 I'm, I'm actually driving.
0: Oh, okay, um, I don't know, Chris, if you, you were able to make sense of that. The line was it, um, but it comes sli- from the planet Mercury. That's what he says.
2: Yeah. I, um, I think I need to go and do a bit of reading on this myself because uh, I, uh, all I can do is to say thank you for the suggestion but I've, I've no idea whether this is right or not.
0: Okay and John in Rondebosch also thinks he's got the answer. John, hi.
1: Hi
2: Reedy, hi Chris. Um,
1: I have to take exception with the previous call. I think that the explanation is, is, is silly and the red planet by the way is Mars not Mercury. Mm. Taking a total eclipse of the moon as seen from the earth think of it from the moon's point of view it's a total eclipse of the sun by the earth and therefore from the moon's point of view all the way around the earth through the earth's atmosphere it is either sunrise or sunset all the way around the disc of the earth which is in the sky over the moon and it's that red light filtered through the earth's atmosphere which is what you see at sunrise and sunset this falling on the moon that makes the moon look red. And in fact, every total eclipse of the moon is red to some degree or other.
2: Hmm. So your explanation is that uh, it's because... In the case of the moon being completely eclipsed, so it's completely dark, yes. you end up with the, with, with the only light that can hit it is stuff that has to come from the margins of the planet, which is going to be the stuff which is yeah. very strongly diffracted and, and um, exactly. because it's had a lot of blue spread out from it, it's very red-dominated, so exactly. the only light that reaches and it is the red stuff.
1: Effectively, as I said, it's like looking at sunset or sunrise all the way around the Earth.
2: Super. Well that sounds to me physically much more coherent. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay.
0: He's very confident of it too. Thank you very much, John, in Rondebosch. Okay. We move from John to Lodi in Santon. Hi.
1: Good morning, Chris Reedy. Chris, I just want to ask you the difference between the chemicals in the in the oil in the electronic cigarettes. As opposed to the, the chemicals in a normal cigarette. I mean am I am I smoking yeah. something as as dangerous <laughs> if I'm smoking an electronic <laughs> cigarette? <laughs>
2: Right, Okay. well, the way a normal cigarette, and I say normal as in the cigarettes that people have been smoking for hundreds of years ever since people introduced them to the modern world from South America, uh, is that there you've got a combustion process which is burning the leaves of the tobacco plant, and the tobacco plant makes the chemical nicotine in its leaves as an insecticide. The nicotine is there to kill off anything that tries to eat the plant and that will include a person if you eat enough tobacco or smoke enough tobacco. But when you burn things you also make a range of other chemicals which include chemicals that can act as carcinogens. These are chemicals capable of damaging your genetic material and when you breathe in smoke it contains some of these organic materials which get into the cells in your airways and your mouth and your throat and will damage DNA there and if the damage is sufficient it can cause those cells to begin to become cancerous. When you smoke an electronic cigarette, what they've done is to extract the nicotine, either from an artificial source or just by chewing up lots of tobacco plants and extracting the nicotine via that route. You put the nicotine into the device and an electric current is used to vaporise the nicotine so that you then breathe in a vapour of chiefly nicotine. Sometimes people put other things in to give flavour, but you're chiefly breathing in something which is dominated by nicotine. You don't have those other combustion products and therefore it should in theory be safer than a traditional cigarette because you don't have all of those other products of combustion that are capable of burning your, of damaging your DNA.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Lodi. There is um, this information about animals and rhythm, Chris. I've always seen animals dancing or doing some sort of twirl on uh, these, you know, America's funniest home videos. And uh, there's a science to it, to dogs and their rhythm chimps as well.
2: Uh, I don't know anything about that. Tell me more.
0: Okay. Uh, dogs may bark to music and chimps may bang on drums, but creatures that can truly keep a beat are rare, apparently. Uh, there is some information about uh, the relationship between animals and their surrounding and the rhythm that came, comes out of that. Basically, we as human beings can move and tap our feet uh, to, to a sound that we hear. Do the animals also react in that
2: way? Well, I had a friend at medical school and she had a gar in a cage in her room and she used to play at meatloaf and it, it would, it would headbang to meatloaf and aerosmith actually. So I think some animals are quite in tune with rhythms and, and animals have rhythms in, in terms of their ability to get up and go to bed at the right time. Whether or not they actually can engage with a uh, making them tap their foot in time to a beat. I think that's a slightly different question, isn't it? Because To what extent does the animal feel compelled to want to get involved? Is there a motivation problem? Because when you're doing these sorts of experiments, you've got to make it so the animal wants to, or gets that you want it to tap its foot or nod its head in time to the music. If the animal can't see any point in doing that, it's not going to do it. It doesn't mean it can't do it, though, I would say.
0: Okay, let's take a break. We'll take more of your calls when you return.
1: Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk, The Naked Scientist.
0: Chris, there's a debate raging on Twitter about the origin of the name Earth. How did you (laughs) arrive (laughs) at that name? Why is this universe called Earth?
2: Yeah, I've been watching this, and do you know, I don't know why someone came up with the whole idea of calling Earth the Earth. I think we have to we have to look that one up as well to see what the derivation is. Unless someone else knows the answer. If if you're listening to this, please join in the debate raging on Twitter and tweet at Naked Scientists and tell us why is Earth called Earth. Uh, interesting. Now, I've, I've got a nice message here from uh, Nikki, who has emailed Chris at thenakedscientist.com because we mentioned the place of uh, in sh- near Chicago, to 238 miles east of Chicago, called Hell. And I commented that Hell had thrown over, he s- fr- frozen over. Uh, Nikki says you mentioned a place called Hell this morning on Reedy's show. Well, in South Africa, we have a place called De Hell, the Hell. It was in <laughs> uh Mountains near to a town in the Western Cape Province called Utsheon. Sorry if I've got the pronunciation wrong. Uh, it's actually called uh gam Kashloof and it's been known as the hell it was a very isolated valley in the mountains it got a road down there only in 1962 before that you could only get in or out by mule or donkey it was started by a group of Boers who hid there from british rule in the cape province they lived there in total isolation until the road was built in 1962 you can see it on google earth how amazing to think there were people living Mm. out there until 19 until the 1960s
0: wow amazing okay chris we'll chat to you next week
2: all right. Thanks very much, really. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Have a great weekend. We Bye-bye. Will,
0: we will podcast that conversation, right? You can visit our website. Somebody sent me an email asking for a podcast of something we did in August. That's not going to work. The system doesn't retain them indefinitely. So visit the website as soon as possible after the interview.